who was born ready? I heard, I heard that. Is that you? <laughs> Lucy Haywood was born ready, everybody. Um, Coming ready or not, that's, that's, yes, okay, ready or not, here I come. So, if you have a Bible, get a finger into Romans chapter 8, very exciting. Um, look, how precious is what we're doing here? Just, just stop and think about it for a moment. I, um, this kind of came crashing home to me this week. Um, I was just, I was feeling it a bit. Just that the last two years, I suppose, the, the brokenness in our world just seemed very real to me. You know, that, that sense of disappointment in... Um, the poor behavior of those who are behaving poorly, the sinfulness of sin, the, the, the bitterness and the envy and the strife that used to just exist online but now is everywhere. Um, I, was, I was just feeling the, the fallenness of our world and yet what we have here is this oasis, right? This, this kind of lifeline in the desert. It's a place of unity and of love um, because we have been rescued from that world and brought into something else. And what we have here is um, a home. We have been restored both to the God who made us and to one another by a common worship, actually by, by more than that, as we're going to see in our passage today, because uh, we're back in Romans. We have been brought into the same family together. We are no longer strangers. We are no longer neighbors. We are family. And I'm delighted for us to be starting the year by thinking about this. We are in not just Romans, but Romans chapter 8 the best chapter of the best book of the Bible. I'm not supposed to say that, but it's what I think. Um, and our big theme here today is the ministry of the Holy Spirit in chapter 8, but specifically a precious thing that our God, the Holy Spirit, does in the life of a believer. Here's a thought to begin. When you think of God, what does He think of you? What does God think of you, especially if you're a believer. If, if you consider yourself a Christian, ask yourself this question, does God like me? Where do you stand with him? I think one of the things that we find difficult um, sometimes is to hold all of the truths revealed in the Bible together without excluding one part of the story. It's a, it's, it's a difficult thing to do. God isn't like other people. Have you noticed? He's a bit of a weirdo. He's, he's just not well, he's not like humans. That's the best of the things about him. Um, one of the things that we find difficult to hold together is God's wrath for our sin and God's love for his people. How, how do you reconcile those two things? What other relationship do we have that is like that? How can God simultaneously be the judge who condemns my sin and delight in me? How, how can they be true at the same time? I don't have another relationship quite like that. But that's where we're giving our attention today. Our, our passage today begins with what really is a conclusion to what has come before in Romans. So we'll start there. It's a useful introduction to get our minds back into the book of Romans. It's been a while. Um, why don't we read from Romans 8 verses 12 to 14. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. So, so, so most of what we just read really is just a summary of Romans 1 to 7, right? 
there's a problem in the world, there's some bad news, don't you feel it? The whole of the human race has fallen into sin. We are all, every one of us, by nature and by choice, we are rebels against the God who made us. That's the problem in this world. And this fact alone, from God's point of view, is enough to condemn us, each and every one. The penalty is death. Physical and spiritual, death here on earth, and soul death in hell. If you live according to, out from, in accordance with, the spiritual principle, if you live in obedience to the flesh, which just means your own human nature, if you live according to those things, you will die, there's no doubt. If that is the driving force of your life, you only have God's wrath to face. What is more, the bad news is that there is nothing in you that can solve the problem of your sinfulness. It's like the, the person who dug themselves into a hole trying to dig themselves out of the hole. It's, it's not possible. You can't dig up. You are helplessly lost. You are under the certain fearful judgment of God. That's the bad news. We see the bad news every day. We feel the bad news with a, a special sharpness in the present. Um, the human race is fundamentally broken. Doesn't matter where you look on the planet. Doesn't matter what kind of people you were looking at. It doesn't matter what era of time you were interested in. The human race is fundamentally broken, but there is good news that follows it. God has done. God has done what we could not. By sending Jesus as our substitute, he is now willing and able to save us from both the power and the penalty of sin. The power of sin, its ability to rule over your life and what you do, your actions, your slavery to sin, and the penalty of sin, the punishment that God owes us, really. Jesus came and died in our place as our substitute. And so now we can be saved. There is some good news. It's, it's possible to escape the dilemma of human sinfulness. How do we gain hold of this salvation that Jesus has brought into this world? And the answer has been so clear to us. It's by grace and through faith, is it not? We place our trust, our faith in Jesus as Savior and Lord, and He rescues us from sin. This is the beginning of the Christian life. He rescues us from God's judgment. It starts with a, with a cry for help. Jesus, I am a guilty sinner. Have mercy on me and rescue me. Please give me your grace. And He will. And He does. And He is. There's no other way. But how this salvation works is important for us to consider this morning. Do you remember what we said the problem was? The problem in this world isn't, Ruthie, my, my problem in this world isn't the people over there. My problem is my own sinfulness. My own nature is my problem. When Jesus saves a sinner, he does it in a very specific way. He does it by sending the Holy Spirit of God, God himself, to come and take up residence in us. 
the indwelling presence of God. And the Spirit begins to transform me, transform us from the inside out. If you would like to escape from a corrupt nature, what you need is a new nature. Or you haven't escaped, do you understand? That begins with the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit, God the Holy Spirit, who transforms us from the inside out. This is what makes all the difference. This is what makes a Christian a Christian. This is what gives us hope. God himself comes to live in you. And in that important sense, you are now set free from sin. It no longer has dominion over you. It is no longer your ruler and your Lord. It no longer governs your destiny. If you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if you live according to the Spirit, if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the flesh, in obedient cooperation with God himself living in you, if you put to death the deeds of the body, your fallen nature, you will live. Good news. Verse 14 just lays it out there so clearly for us, doesn't it? If we haven't considered this yet, if this is news to you, To be a Christian is to have the Holy Spirit living in you. It is a good definition of what a Christian is. It is not a group of ideas that I believe. It is not an activity that I do. It is to be born again by the Spirit of God. To be a Christian is to have the Holy Spirit. To not have the Holy Spirit is to not be a believer. The chief distinguishing mark of the believer is the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. If any of that is a surprise to you, to come and see me after. I would love to have that chat. That's my favorite thing. This is where we have been for the last 12 months in Romans. As God, through the Apostle Paul, has labored to convince us of these foundational truths. But now let's give our attention back to our passage again and see the detail that we didn't notice in verse 14. Let me read it again. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. We have a new theme. Yet to be considered in the book of Romans. In fact, there is a word here in this sentence which has never before appeared in this letter. Those who are led by the Spirit are sons of God. Sons. This is where we're going to give our attention today. The sons of God. The theme of sonship, also called adoption. The indwelling presence of God, the Holy Spirit, creates in us not just a new status, though he does do that. Not just a new nature, as those who've been set free, though he does do that. But a new relationship. If I have the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit, I am a child of God. That's new. That's new. What on earth does that mean? (laughs) Why don't we um, flick to this next slide, Tish? One of the most common misquotes I hear about the Bible 
is the same. We are all God's children. Have you heard someone say that? We're all God's children. Sounds nice. It's not true. Unfortunate. We're not all God's children. We're all God's creations. We're all made in God's image. And as image bearers, we all matter. Believe it or not. People are important. But we are not all God's children. That, that saying comes from a, a misunderstanding that was very common when Christianity was more common in society. No, the Bible uses this thing of sonship in, in important ways and we need to get our head around it. The context for this image is the ancient Hebrew family where the concept of family was very strong. To be a child in the family was to have special rights and privileges. It was a place of honor in the family. You had lots of neighbors, but you only had so many sons. Um, it was an expectation that you stand in the legacy of, the inheritance, the inheritance of, um, the legacy of your father. We have some of these concepts in our, in our idea of family, but we need to intensify it to get to their concept and how important it was, how central it was. We need to turn it up to 11. For, for the ancient Hebrew, the question, who am I, was answered by asking the next question, to whom do I belong? It's the most important thing about me. Who is my family? And more importantly, who is my father? From him came your status and your significance. They had a habit of getting lost in tragic, um, endless genealogies. The Apostle Paul had to kind of criticize them for this. Do you remember in the New Testament? Why is it that you're spending so long on genealogies? Because they wanted to know their family tree. It was enormously important to them. It wasn't just a, a thing of interest to find out, oh, I'm descended from a convict, which I found out recently. It's fun. All I had to do was um, get my mum to sell our family's genetic information to whoever's going to advertise to us with it. No, for them it was an issue of significance. It mattered to the Apostle Paul that he was of the tribe of Benjamin. It mattered to the Jews that Jesus was in the line of David, not just because of God's promises, but because of all of the significance attached to that family tree. It was enormously important. Do you remember Jesus had a run-in with the Pharisees at one point, and they got into an argument over the theme of sonship. Um, in, in John chapter 8, it's a good one. Jesus is arguing with the Pharisees, and they say to him, Abraham is our father. And Jesus says, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. But now you're seeking to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. That's not what Abraham did. You were doing the works your father did. To which they reply, we were not born of sexual immorality. There's a, there's a, a snipe at Mary, if you didn't pick that one up. We have one father, even God. Jesus said to them, if God was your father, you would love me. For I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. And it could be said that that statement offended them a bit. This is, this is core level identity stuff, right? That who who you are descended from is the most important thing about you in their concept. My significance is connected to the legacy or the dynasty, 
that I belong to. And Jesus had to correct these people and tell them that their claim to stand in the the line, the legacy of the patriarchs was false. You might be biologically descended from them, but you don't stand in their spiritual legacy. You don't believe like they believe and act like they acted. But here in Romans, Christians, God is telling us something so much better than that we are in the line of Abraham, that we are. Unlike those Pharisees, Christians, you are a child of God. He is your father. Anyone, anyone who has the spirit of God is a child of God. Just think, when we come to the good news of Jesus, just think about this. We know that God has a kingdom that's coming to conquer this present evil age. We know that sin is not welcome in that kingdom. We know that God is going about forgiving and reconciling with sinners, filling them with his spirit and bringing them in. And the question becomes, what is my place in this kingdom? Where do I stand with God? Where do I fit? What is my station? Do you you understand? Are we welcome so long as we sit quietly up the back and don't cause a scene? Like me in a high school maths class. Right? Are Are we permitted to enter but generally disliked? Like Mike. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Last one. And the shocking answer comes in God's kingdom. We are sons of the king. Sons. Understand here, this absolutely applies, ladies, to you as well. This is the status of sons that we're talking about, not the gender. We're not saying we're all male. It's saying that we have the status that sons had in the ancient family, which was the place of honor. When it comes to God, believer, you aren't just welcome in the house. You are part of the family. And you hold a place of special honor and affection. As we keep reading, this just gets more exciting. Do you want to, do you want to, let's do it. Verse 15. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. But you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Got some imagery here. It's really helpful. The first image is slavery. You were slaves. That's who you were. Maybe you still are. Slavery is what defined our relationship with sin. Sin holds the human race in slavery, under its control. We serve our sinful desires like a slave serves a master. I don't think think we think in these categories enough. Sin is a terrible slave master. Serve me. Do what I say. And I will deliver pleasure and meaning and satisfaction, says sin. And it delivers none of them. It delivers slavery, control, regret. The devil entices us with false promises. He's been telling us since the beginning, you won't die. God is a liar. You will become like him. And he's afraid of you. 
But it is a lie. And sin only delivers more slavery and pain. In the short term, yes, sin offers some pleasure. But how quickly that pleasure turns to rot. It's a fleeting pleasure that will hold you captive long after the pleasure has faded. Don't believe me? Fling off that angry email. It feels good, doesn't it? Send. That told them. Feels good for minutes, perhaps, even hours. Felt good to speak my mind. And in the long run, ruin and regret, division. And yet we keep doing it. Jesus is like a dog returning to their vomit. Isn't that just the best picture of our relationship with sin? I know this is bad for me, but I'm going back. Adultery and pornography seem pleasurable. And in the short term, they are. For a moment. For just a moment. But then comes the slavery and the lies and the deception and the shame. And yet people return again and again and again to that bitter well. You were a slave. But Christian, God has come and has rescued you from slavery. We now have a new master who is kind and who serves us and who works for our good. Where sin would have seen us destroyed, God is bringing us in and making us his children. And yet we still hesitate to approach God as sons. Do you know what I'm talking about? This is, this is a common mistake we fall into. I was a slave to sin, and now slavery is the only category I have to think about my relationship with God. I am a mere slave of God. Now, look, I have to be careful here. Um, to say that we are slaves of God is absolutely biblical language. I'm not contradicting that. We are called slaves and servants of Christ in Scripture, and properly so. God is our master, and he is our Lord, and it is no insult to him or to you to say so. We are not capable of complete independence and autonomy. It is a part of our nature, the way we were created. We will always, by our nature, serve something. Jesus made that very clear in the Sermon on the Mount. But to get the biblical balance right, we have to understand that we are not merely slaves, not merely servants. That's not the only thing the Bible says about our relationship with God. If we look at the earthly drudgery of slavery, if we look at the damaging, crippling shackles of sin and what it brought about in our lives, and we think of our new relationship with God in those categories alone, you do not have the right picture of what Jesus is talking about. We have come to the wrong conclusion about what God intends for us. Some of you perhaps approach God like a mere slave approaches a hard taskmaster. This is how you think of him. 
you hesitate to ask him for things because you expect him to only give you things grudgingly. The service that you offer to him is, is, is dutiful. It's disciplined. But it lacks joy and love. You believe that God has welcomed you in and that he doesn't like you very much. You have a constant fear that he is any moment now about to reject you and to change his mind and to kick you out. You have gone from being a slave to sin to being a mere slave of God and no more. But we have another image here for us to understand. And it's the image of adoption. Christian, you have received the spirit of adoption as sons that we might not fall back again into fear. Imagine a home where an orphan child is living with guardians. One day, the adults of the home come home with adoption papers in their hands. They say to the child, you've always been welcome in our home, but we want you to belong to it and to us. Would you be our child? How precious must those papers be? To be chosen, to be loved, the certificate of adoption. This is what God has done for the Christian by the sending of his Holy Spirit. We have received the spirit of adoption. The Holy Spirit himself is our seal, our guarantee, our proof of belonging. His presence in you creates a new relationship between God and us. We are sons of God. We are the children of God, those of us with the spirit. He isn't the spirit of fear. Fear is what defined our relationship to God before our salvation. We were rebels headed for punishment and his presence was intimidating. We were afraid of him. But now in the presence of the spirit, we still have, we still have the fear of God in terms of reverent awe. We still respect him. We still know that he is greater than us. We still know that our sin deserves fearful judgment, but we do not live in a constant state of thinking that God is going to suddenly and finally change his mind and destroy us. That is not how we relate to God. He is the spirit of adoption as sons. We know where we stand with him, if we dare to believe it. As a father loves and cares for his children and welcomes them in his presence and gives them all they need, and gladly serves their best interests, so the creator of all things has declared over you. He delights. Our God delights in providing for you. In meeting your needs, in mending your wounds. When we sing his praise, we were singing it this morning, it's a shared joy for us and for him that we would do so. When we sin... He is grieved that those who have access to all of the riches of his generosity would content themselves with that drudgery. But he is not going to abandon us. He does not punish us. He does not treat us according to what our sins deserve. He does discipline us. As, as a father who loves his children, 
raises them up to maturity. Do not miss the affectionate love of God in this towards you who love him. It is our delight to respect and honor our father. It's not duty or drudgery. We know which legacy we belong to. We know where our significance and identity come from. We know who we are and why we matter. Our identity is now found in answer to the question, to whom do I belong? I belong to my father. Do you feel it? He loves me. In the words of the Christian rapper Shailin, adoption means God is now my father. I've got the hottest popper and by his spirit, holla Abba. <laughs> Abba. An Aramaic word. Father. Not the term of polite company. Not the equivalent of the English father, really. Less like father, more like dad. It is intimate and familiar. How must this invitation have hit to a people whose concept of worship was that they were not allowed near God? Put yourself in the shoes of the first century. Put yourselves in the shoes of the Old Testament. The whole temple structure, the whole temple structure had been built. All of the sacrifices and the washings and the curtains and the veils, the priesthood, to send us the dual message, God wants to be with us, but because of your sin, you can't come near. We don't have a natural equivalent to that. Maybe we do, actually, this morning. My, my, my one-year-old has got the sniffles. And so before I came to church this morning, I took a rat test. Have, you, have any of you managed to buy one of those? We did. It's like our achievement this year is to get a box of those. It's kind of like in the Old Testament, right? Before you were allowed to show yourself in public after there was mildew in your house, you had to present yourself to the priest as clean. I got my test. I'm allowed to participate in society again. There was a whole system of worship designed to show the distance between us and God, but also to give the, the promise of hope. But we live this side of Jesus once and for all sacrifice, which fulfilled all of that. Fulfilled all of that. No more washings, no more tests, no more priests, no more sacrifices, no more curtains. Abba, Father, I'm yours. Who would dare, who would dare to approach God like that? Is it arrogant? Is it proud? No. It's faith. It's believing that what God has said about us is true. If, if he had not invited us in, it would be blasphemy. But he has. Actually, it's, it's miraculous for us to approach God like this. Miraculous. Let's see the next bit. 
takes assurance to approach God like this. And our assurance comes from God himself. Verses 16 and 17. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Hokinelli. God the Spirit is not just the seal of our adoption. It's not just a symbol. But right now, this very second, God the Spirit is actively doing another thing inside you who have him. He is actively working to convince us that this invitation is real, that this is really true. He bears witness. He testifies. He publicly proclaims, Mine! over you. And if you have him, he's doing this right now. Do you feel it? Do you hear it? Can you hear his voice? He is working on you and in you to give you that assurance. Mine, my child, God is working to convince your heart of hearts that he has in fact brought you into his family if you are a believer. Mine. It is a miracle to convince a sin-sick heart of these things. It is God's own supernatural action which creates our assurance. What is the basis of my assurance? It is what God says about me. And I know what God says about me because I can hear his voice, not just in the Bible, though there as well, but by the inward testimony of the Holy Spirit. Mine. How do I know that the promises of Jesus found on the pages of the book apply to me? Because God the Holy Spirit told me so. Mine. I'm here. You are mine. Do you hear him? Can you hear his voice? The most precious words that will ever be spoken over you. The Spirit bears witness. And then what? What happens? And then our spirit can't help but join in the song. He's here. I'm his. It's true. I am a child of God. The Spirit bears witness with our spirit until those two voices are singing from the same song sheet. I know who I am because I know who I belong to. I can hear his voice and I can't help but sing along. The Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if you are a child of God, that has some drastic implications for who you are. Drastic. Because we are not just the children of God. We are the sons of God, which makes us heirs together with Christ. (laughs) I know it's we got a meeting in like half an hour. I am tempted to preach a whole extra sermon on just the significance of that. Heirs with Christ. Just think with me about what Christ's inheritance is. What belongs to Christ by rights as the son of the father? Colossians 1, 15 to 17. 
he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Firstborn matters in our context of adoption, doesn't it? He's the first son. For by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authority. All things were created through him and for him. The whole point of human existence, the whole point of the universe that we live in is for Christ. He is before all things. Chronologically, he existed before they existed. And in significance and importance, he matters more than everything else. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He's the firstborn. All things are his, do you understand? And if we are the sons of God, we are lower down than Jesus. Absolutely. He is the firstborn, we are not. And yet, the sons get a share of the inheritance. Do you understand what Jesus has done for you? (laughs) But by bringing you in, by including you in the family, by dying in your place and for your sins, by choosing himself to send his Holy Spirit to dwell in you, he has chosen to take what is his and share it with you. To dilute his inheritance, if you will. If that illustration even has any meaning in this context. All things are his, and he gladly shares it with you. We're going to read it further down in Romans 8. How can the God who gladly gave us his son not also along with him graciously give us all things? He's already given us the most important thing that exists. And together in perfect harmony with the father, the son says, mine, yours. I'll share it with you. We are heirs together with Christ. He gets the double portion. We get a portion. We will judge the angels. All authority in heaven and earth belongs to him. I don't even know what that means. It's just a verse in the Bible that blows my mind. I think it just means what it says. We worry about having enough. All things were created for him. Sharing it with us. It's already yours. Everything you need. Forever. his relationship with the Father, shared with us, brought in, gladly handed over, have what is mine. This is what God thinks of you. We have been lifted up so very high by embracing a cross. Here comes the rub though, isn't it? The last thing we need to read today is that there is a condition for all of this that we have to just remind ourselves of as we, as we hear these promises. The condition is this. It's the end of verse 17. We become co-heirs with Christ provided that we suffer with him in order that we may, be, may also be glorified with him. In order that we, provided that we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. This is what the Apostle Paul is not doing here. He's not holding out gracious salvation to you and at the last second taking it away. It's not what's happening. He is not introducing works as the basis of your salvation. What he is doing is avoiding the problem of false assurance 
The only thing that could go wrong with these promises is that somebody who does not have the Spirit of God would lay claim to them. That's the only thing that can go wrong. We know who the difference is. <laughs> we have the internal, internal witness of the Holy Spirit which creates a life which stands with our Father in public. If I am His, He is mine. That's not a secret. That's not a secret. If I am His and He is mine, belonging to Him is the most important thing about me. I want the world to know it. The world will not always like that about me. And I'm okay with that. Because I'm his and he is mine. Why on earth would I care what they think? There's a TV show with a quote I love. Your booze mean nothing. I've seen what makes you cheer. <laughs> what makes us cheer? Mine. My child. My sons. We are the children of God. Why would I not gladly suffer with him in, also, in order to be glorified alongside him? If, if belonging to him is the most important thing about me, why would I not gladly lose this world that hates him in order to gain him? This is what those who are the children of God do. And so we ask ourselves a question. It's a simple one. It's a great one to start the year. Do you belong to him? Are you a child of God? Come. This is the voice of God. Come. If you are not yet a believer, come. Today's the day. Come and accept the invitation. God wants you in his family. God wants to make you a different kind of person. God wants to set you free from slavery to sin. God wants to give you a new and better identity than the one that you currently have. He wants to give you meaning and significance. He wants to deliver to you the things which sin promises and can't deliver. Come. He wants to deal with you honestly and make you a child in his house. Come. How gracious an invitation. Christians, can you hear him? Can you hear the spirit of adoption speaking over you from within? Can you hear the words? Mine, my child, my beloved, from the only voice that matters. Is your spirit joining in the song? I'm his. I belong. I am loved. Are you walking in that assurance? That is yours by blood-bought right. Do you expect God to bless you? To meet all of your needs and more? To, along with Christ, graciously give you all things? Not so that you could serve yourself in this world, that he might be glorified in you? Do you come to him with your praise, your love, your requests, your brokenness, and 
gladly hand it to him because you know he's listening. You know he cares. You know he's able. You know that you are welcome. Have you stopped running? Are you, are you cooperating with the all-conquering love of God that is at work in you? Or have you, let, have you allowed a small thing like doubt <laughs> to keep you away from him? His choosing of you is stronger than your doubts. Come. Come again and come afresh and experience the gracious restoration of your Father. Let's pray. Our Father, how precious that we can call you by that name. Father, Abba, it is by your spirit that we call you that name. It's enormous. My eyes aren't big enough to take in that much glory. my heart all on its own is incapable of believing a promise that big. If I could, if I could just see this for what it is, if I, could, if I could really comprehend who you are to me, my mind wanders, my heart <laughs> returns to the old muck and the mire that was killing me looking for comfort when I get stressed. Remind my soul again, we pray. Convince my soul for the first time. Make me your child. Welcome me in and convince my spirit that it is so. That I would walk with you, not in fear or in duty or reluctantly, but that I would, I would do the, the, the thing that your word has said that has been sitting on the front of a stage in a building next door for how many decades? That I would serve my Lord with gladness. gladly lose all things, that I would suffer with you in order to be glorified with you. Restore my priorities, we pray. Set my heart where it belongs, on the most important thing that exists, on you and your voice and my standing with you. Let me hear it even now if I can't. Let my spirit join in the song. His. His. Give me the assurance of faith that Christ has won for me and the Spirit has given to me. Our Trinitarian God.
sons. Co-heirs with Christ. children in this world and the next. We pray in the name of Jesus.